Good afternoon. How's everyone doing? Is that a good time of worship? Good ministry from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, if we've never met before, good afternoon. Good to see you guys. How's everyone doing this afternoon? Doing good? There's like three of you asking. How's everyone doing this afternoon? Doing good? There we go. A little better. All right. I don't know if you're still just soaking in the presence of God. If we haven't met before, my name is Pastor Brendan Witten. My wife and I have the honor of being the servant leaders, lead pastors here at Toronto City Church, but we have an amazing team of many people who work together. But it is so good to see you. It's so good to have you here today. Uh, We want to give a special shout out to anybody who's here for the first time. So if you're here for the first time with us today, we're extra honored and excited to have you. You could be many places today. It's a beautiful day. Uh, I mean, you could still technically in your bed, even though that'd be pretty late to be in your bed, but you never know. You could be out at the beach. You could be a lot of places. We are really glad that you're here with us. Thank you for joining us. Um, At the end of service, here's what we want to ask. When you go out those back doors, if you go right to your left, we have a connect table. At the connect table, we have one of our team members who would love to meet you. They just love to get to know you a little better, just to connect a little bit. We do have a small gift we'd love to give you just to say thank you for joining us. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, we would be so grateful and uh, just appreciate you and appreciate that you are here. Also, before I jump into the message today, because we're just going to move quite quickly into the word, I wanted us to take a moment as people of prayer, just as my wife's been encouraging us, but I want us to take a moment to pray for joy ministry. Uh, most of you not be familiar, or maybe some of you are familiar, but one of the things that's opened up again for Joy Ministry after several years of being shut down with COVID is once a month they go into several of the retirement homes in the community and they do services. And so we have a team that goes in, they do worship, they have the word, they connect with people, they pray for people, people are encouraged, people come to Jesus. It's a really an amazing opportunity to get out and to serve in the community, one of the many ways we want to do that. And so they are, we're in one home already this morning, uh, which I got a report went amazing. They're going to be in another one this afternoon. And so I just wanted us to take a moment to agree because it's just an amazing opportunity to show the love of Jesus. People come to Jesus. People are encouraged in their faith. It's a really great time. And I also wanted to mention it because if there's a couple, some of you here, maybe you kind of that sparks in your heart. You're, man, I'd love to serve in that way. I'd love to be part of it. It's like one Sunday a month, you're kind of at service, then you just pop over, do the ministry, come back. They definitely would welcome more people of any age to come and do the ministry and to come and join. So let's pray and let's agree together. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for Joy Ministry. We thank you for the opportunity that they have just as an extension of our church family to go into these homes to do services, to love on people, to minister to people, to serve people, to see people come to Jesus. And so we just pray today. We thank you for the great ministry that already happened in the first. We thank you for the second opportunity to come this afternoon. We pray that people will be saved. We pray that people will be healed. We pray that people will be just delivered and encouraged and built up. And we just thank you for each team member that they're going to have your grace and your anointing as they go and serve. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said, amen, amen. Well, you guys got your Bibles today? You ready for the word? And a question, how many of you were here last week and heard the message last week? Okay, a bunch of us were, some of us weren't. Just a little bit of an introduction, I'll set the tone. Thanks, Jerry. Does Jerry do an amazing job on the keys? Give it up for Jerry. Who also happens to be single. We're trying to get him a woman of God. So anyways, amen. Yes, sir. So anyways, I'm going to get that plug in. I want to do more weddings. So we need to get some more connections happening. Of course, godly connections at the right time and the right place. But amen. I got some amens on that. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Uh, 
what I want to do, I wanted to bridge, this message will connect a little bit to last week's message. Uh, now, it's not going to be preached in a way that, don't worry, if you weren't here last week, you're not going to be kind of out of the loop on everything in the message. But I would encourage you, if you didn't hear last week's word, to take some time to go back. It's up on YouTube. And just listen to the message because there is some definite connection between the two things. Uh, last week, what, what we had done, I, I really put a focus on just bringing some encouragement to us as a church family. In light of just what some things, especially with Emma and Sam being here the week before, some things that God spoke to us corporately, some things that God spoke to our lives personally, and I wanted to really bring an encouraging word in that light, uh, an encouraging word in light of the doors that are opening up, because I believe this is a season over the next 12 to 18 months, there are going to be some real big doors that are opening up, some things opening up for us as a church. But again, God always speaks on levels and layers, and there's some things that I believe are going to be opening up for so many people in this place, but there's also going to be adversaries. And uh, I know some people are like, well, why do you bring that part up? Because we need to know that part too. Because sometimes we like the open doors, but then there's some adversaries, there's some challenges, there's some difficulties, and then we back away because we weren't ready for a battle. We weren't ready for some challenges. But God wants us to be ready and grace for the challenges. So that was really the heart of saying, okay, how are we going to steward what God said to us corporately, which is some powerful things? How are we going to steward what God said to us personally? Because I'm really excited about just hearing stories from different ones of you. I'm excited about what God is doing and speaking to you in your personal lives. How are we going to be ready for these open doors? How are we going to walk through them? How are we going to be ready for some of the challenges? So we spent time last week in Joshua chapter 1. And the whole point of going to Joshua chapter 1 was it was a type and a pattern. Joshua and the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land. They're about to go into something that had been prophesied, something that had been promised to them, something that God had said. And they were getting ready to enter into that, but it was also something that they had failed to enter into in the past. So there had been some discouragement, some disappointments, there had been some delays. And then Joshua, obviously you can see from what God was encouraging him, it was battling. He was questioning, am I really ready to do this? Do I have what it takes? And so there was a number of things in Joshua chapter 1 that God said to Joshua, building around being strong and courageous. Everybody say, be strong and courageous. And so there's some things that God spoke to him, so we spent some time there. We talked about being strong and courageous. We talked about meditating in the word. There was some different elements that we spoke into and some things we need to do if we're going to enter in. See, my point today and what I want to spend some more time on today is that God has given promises. God has given prophetic words. God has spoken things over your lives. There's things that God has called you to. There's things that God has called us to. But we still have a choice, even though, because sometimes we have this impression, just because God says it means it's magically, automatically just going to happen. But what we need to understand is there is a conditional element to so much of what God's promised and what he said. We have to do our part to enter in. Everybody say enter in. God promised the children of Israel the promised land, but the first generation that went out of Egypt did not enter in. And I don't believe that was God's original intention or it was God's best. There was a generation that did not enter in, but then there was a generation with Joshua that did enter in. And so my heart for each one of us, my heart for us corporately as a church is that we will enter in. My heart for you individually is that you will enter in. Because as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, one of the things I hate to see is I hate to see people stuck around the same mountain over and over and over again and never entering into what God said and what God's promised. 
I want to see you enter in. I want to see us enter in. And so there's some things that we need to do if we're going to enter in. Someone tell your neighbor there's some things we need to do to enter in. Now, that was a longer statement. It's a little more complicated to say that to your neighbor, but you did a good job. You ever hate, though, the preacher's like, say to your neighbor this and this and that. You can't remember what they said. You're like, what he said. Right? So there's some things we need to do to enter in. But what I want to focus on more today, I want to come at the different angle. And this is going to be a little bit more of a convicting search our hearts before the Lord message. There's also some things we need to make sure we don't do if we want to enter in. Someone tell your neighbor there's some things you don't want to do. There's, there's some warning that God has for us. There's some things that can stop us from entering in. So I'd like you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because the word that came for this, God can say all these things over us. He can say all these things over our lives. There can be promises. There can be all these things that he is doing. But we can still self-sabotage what God is doing. And it's so sad to me when everything is right there. Everything is set up and promised and God's brought everything together. It's so sad to me to watch people self-sabotage. It's so sad to me to watch churches self-sabotage what God is doing. Because it is very important that we do what we need to do to enter in, but it's also important that we guard against some things we don't need to do. There's some warnings that God has for us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. And 1 Corinthians 10 says this. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I like the readability of it. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now let's pause here, and let's take a few moments to talk about this. The first thing I want to focus on is I want to focus on the context. Everybody say context. See, when you study the Word of God, and Pastor Sharon was encouraging us in this when she was up here with her prophetic, uh, just her prophetic sharing time there, God wants us to be rooted. God wants us to go deeper. Guys, you got to read your Bible you got to have a personal prayer life. It is non-negotiable in the times we're coming into. Lukewarm, cream puff, living off somebody else's Christianity is not going to cut it if you're going to enter into what God has for you. And I'm going to keep saying this. I'm going to keep being strong with this because it's not going to be from a lack of us saying it. I want to see you rooted. I want to see you go deeper. Don't live off someone else's spirituality. Don't live off somebody else's faith. It's good that you're here. Get word. Get teaching. But open up your Bible. Learn to feed yourself. Learn to go deep in God in yourself because that is what's going to sustain you and carry you forward in what God's called you to. And so a tip as you're reading your Bible is one of the things is always remember to understand context. What do I mean by this? When you read a verse or when you're studying a verse or a passage, you want to look at the passages before it. You want to look at the passages after it. You want to make sure you understand the context within it's in. If you just take verses by themselves, you can come up with all kinds of weird stuff if you don't understand context. Right? You can find one verse that says Judas went and hung himself. And you can find another verse that says, now you go and do likewise. Right? And, and, and how many know that's, that's really bad biblical interpretation? 
But, and obviously it's a silly example. I, I've never heard anyone actually pull that one out. But there's a lot of other times where we just take verses outside of context just to suit what we want them to say instead of understanding what God's saying. So I want to take a moment for context. So let's back up for a second. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Now here's something else to remember when you read your Bible. Is that the chapters and verses are helpful, but they're not inspired by God. What I mean by this is these were letters that were written. They didn't have chapters and verses. Now, I'm not against chapters and verses. Can you imagine trying to find something in the Bible with no chapters and verses? Right? You need them to find it. But here's what happens for us. Often we'll see one chapter end, another chapter start, and we go, oh, this must be a new thought. Because that's kind of the way our minds tend to work. Oh, this is a new topic. This is a new thought. But so often they actually are blending together. So let's see what Paul is saying here in verse 9, 24. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. In other words, there's a promised land. I want you to enter in. Right? I want you to run to win. Don't just, don't just run for, for fun. There's no, there's no participant trophies in this one. Right? This is, this is run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So again, eternal prize, reward, run to win, enter in. You see the whole theme here that it ties into what's being said. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Watch this. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to, my, to others, I myself might be disqualified. So this is what Paul is writing and he's talking about. And he's talking about, it's interesting, that he's talking about his focus and his discipline, if I could say it in the context of what we're talking about now, to enter into what God has. To see that eternal reward, but to run the race the right way. And he actually shares with us something that really sobers me. He says, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now if there's anyone who I'd hold up as a hardcore Christian, I think I'd hold up the Apostle Paul. You look at his life, you look at how he lived, you look at what he wrote, you looked at the trials he went through, all that he gave his life to, and yet there was, and I don't feel like this was a, a ungodly fear, I feel like this was more like a holy reverential fear, like a fear of the Lord in his heart. So he's not talking about like, I'm just terrified of this or I'm afraid, but he's saying there's something inside, he's saying, listen, there's something I, I recognize I can still be disqualified. And what he's saying is we can be a squad. In other words, there's things that God can have for us, that God's called us to, that we've had powerful prophetic words, but we cannot enter in. We can still get stuck in the wilderness. We can die, quote unquote, in the wilderness. So his heart is just saying, I want to enter in. I, want, I don't want to be disqualified. Come on, someone tell your neighbor, I don't want to be DQ'd. I'm sorry for disqualified in case you didn't know. I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to be DQ'd. So then, so watch this. So read it in context. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters. See how he connects these two together? So he says, I don't want you to, I don't want you to forget. And then he begins to talk about the children of Israel in the wilderness, which we know from scriptural study is very much a type of pattern of salvation. Right, we're brought out of sin, we're brought out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea, which is a type and pattern of baptism. If you haven't been baptized, it's a command. Get baptized, we'll have another service next month. Right, you can do that, we'll, we'll baptize you. But you're baptized, then they come into the wilderness where they're prepared, but now it's a journey of inheriting the promises. But will we enter in or will we get stuck in the wilderness? Too many believers get stuck in the wilderness. 
And it's not that they're not a Christian. It's not that they're not saved, but they get disqualified from things that God has for them. They don't enter in. You know, it's interesting. You see this picture. Look at the children of Israel. Like, look at what they experienced. And this is what Paul's trying to say. He's saying, number one, he says they were guided by the cloud that moved ahead of them. Now, I don't have time to take you through all the scriptures, but basically what God did for them was he manifested his presence and his glory. He manifested himself as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And we're not talking about just like a little nice Mario kind of cloud kind of there. We're talking about this pillar of fire at night, this cloud in the day where they physically, you could come out your tent and look and go, oh, wow, there's the presence of God. It's not just, oh, we believe God's with us by faith. They're literally seeing God with them. Furthermore, he says, these are the people who went through the Red Sea. They watched God when they were about to get obliterated, open up the Red Sea for them. I mean, if you can find a bigger miracle, I don't know. You can debate miracles, but you talk about, if you, 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 if you want to see something so you know God's real, boom, he opens the Red Sea, crashes back on the Egyptians. Furthermore, it says they ate the same spiritual food. God fed them with manna daily, this supernatural food that would appear on the ground. And he fed several million people. I mean, every day, if you want to believe that God's with you, every day, if you want to believe that God's got you, every day, if you want, they see this cloud, this fire, it would move, they'd move, it'd stop, they'd stop. They still remember going through the Red Sea every morning, do a doubt God's provision. Oh, there's the manna. There, what is it? That's what they say. What is it? There it is. The man is there. They drank the same spiritual water. How many times you see where they had no water, God would open up and, and water for m several million people. What, what's the point, I think, because he says they did all this, yet God was not pleased and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Right? So God was not pleased. There was still, he's saying, even though they experienced all these supernatural things, even though they experienced all these things that God did, that were undeniable, right? All these things that God did that there was no doubt. And even after experiencing all that, they still were disqualified. They still didn't enter in. And, and there, there's something sobering about this, guys, because let's bring this forward for us today. You can be guided by the Holy Spirit and experience the Holy Spirit in your life, but still not enter in. You can witness miracles and signs and wonders, but still not enter in. You can come week after week and listen to great messages and hear the best biblical teaching, but still not enter in. You can experience the Holy Spirit, have him touch your life and have him encounter you in like real and powerful ways. And I, all these things are good. I'm not against any of these things, but you can still not enter in. See, I think what Paul's trying to say to us is he's giving us, and you can see a little further, he's giving a warning and a caution. And saying, listen, it's about entering in. And so even though you've experienced many spiritual things, even though you were here several weeks ago and there were these powerful prophetic words that released over our church and all these powerful things that God said, we still have a responsibility. We still have to have a sobriety in our heart. We still need to have a commitment that I am going to enter in. Someone tell your neighbor, I'm going to enter in. We want to enter in. I want us to enter in as a church. I want you to enter in as an individual in your life. I don't want you to get stuck in the wilderness. You know, this last part, just, I'm just going to share several thoughts from this with you guys, and we'll kind of read a little more and share some thoughts. You know, it really struck me as I prepared this matter. So they, they, 
Let me see, where, where did it go? It said, yet God was not pleased with most of them. Do you know God can love you, but not be pleased with you? If you have any doubt about that, just talk to any parent. Was someone clapping? Wow. Wow, okay, I'm hitting on a nerve today. Right, come on, talk to any spouse. I can tell you, Pastor Sharon Witten loves me, but there are moments she is not pleased with me. Right, and I enjoy it. But you know, as a parent, you love your kids. Sometimes they're driving you up the wall. Right, you're not pleased with them. But even more than that, I mean, I'm being kind of funny and joking around, but even if you go to a deeper, more heartfelt place, you can love your children deeply, but be very sad and disappointed by some choices they're making and what they're doing. God loves us unconditionally. We never want to lose that fact. But I think it's good to go back time and, you know, to have a check-in on a regular basis. God, are you pleased with me? I know you love me, but are you pleased with me? Are you pleased with the way I'm living my life? You know, it's like that psalm said, I don't have a reference for the team, but may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Those are good things to pray. Because, you know, we talked about this last week where you want to hear in stereo, right? You need the sound coming off both sides. You know, the, 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 the bridge of truth needs to be kind of connected to two, right? There's that. And, and so we never lose sight of God's love, but I think that sometimes some, and I think it's very much kind of the spirit of the age a little bit, we, we connect God's love to him just going, oh, yeah, that, yeah it, no, no, that's sin, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay, I love you anyways. It, it doesn't really matter. That, that's, that's not the God and the way he works. I mean, I think it's good. It, it's sobering, but it's good even. You know, God, are you pleased with me? There's some areas of my life that don't please you, Lord. Can I, can I change? Can I repent? And so you don't get under condemnation. This is not about trying to... See, if you're trying to earn his love by pleasing him, then that's where it's off because God's love for us is unconditional. But also, if we're receiving God's unconditional love and we just could care less about pleasing him or not, that's just as wrong. Right? There's this heart that says, I want to please God. Come on, somebody say it with me. I want to please you, Lord. So let's read verse 6. It said, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. So watch this. Watch the context. Paul was talking about not being disqualified, about running your race, about, you know, being trained. And he says, now let's remember. Here's an example. This was an example of our ancestors, the children of Israel in the wilderness. This is an example of people who, even though they experienced all these great spiritual things, were disqualified. And he says, so these things happened as a warning to us. A warning to us. So we would not crave evil as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. Actually, let me just, I'm, we're just going to read and go verse by verse here. So number one, these things happened as a warning to, I, no, let me read through it, sorry, I'm, all over the place here on myself. Worship by some of As scriptures say, the people celebrate with feasting and drinking, and they indulge in pagan revelry. Verse 8, and we must not engage in sexual morality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Verse 9, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. Verse 10, and don't grumble as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happen to them as examples for us. They are written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Now, I know some of you are thinking, this is just not an encouraging passage today, Pastor. 
But you know what? The Bible is important. We need to be encouraged, but we also need to be admonished. We also need to be corrected. We also need to be warned. Right? That's part of we take the whole Bible for what it is. We don't just filter it through our sensibilities. And so I want you to, first thing it says, these things happened as a warning to us. What's a warning? I mean, well, really simple. A warning is just like when someone's telling you, listen, there's danger here. Don't, don't do this. Don't come this way. Right? Warning. Usually if you have a warning sign, it's because there's danger. There's something that can hurt you. Right? We put warning signs up, you know, if there's like high voltage. Or warning sign, bridge is out. Don't drive this way. Or warning sign, cliff. Don't come close. There's, there's a warning because it's trying to protect us from something that will hurt us. Right? And so here's my question. My, one of my first questions for myself and for us this morning, are we open to receiving warnings from God? You know, sometimes people want to just, well, I'm just going to walk and go off the cliff and God will just protect me and God will just take care of me. And God, well, God said stay away from the cliff. Now, thankfully, by his grace, there's times where he'll still come in and do But why are we... Why don't we, like, heed the warnings? There's a warning in this. In other words, there's a warning where God's saying, there's some things here that stop them from entering in, and they will stop you from entering in. And what's our heart? Our heart's to enter in. My heart is for you to enter in. But it's saying, will we heed the warnings? Will we heed the warnings, or will we just keep going? Will we heed the warnings, or we just make an excuse? Right? Because the warnings are right here for us. The second thing I want us to see from this passage that jumps out to me. It says, so that we would not crave evil things as they did. So here's a big question if we're going to be people that enter in. Remember, there's things we want to make sure we do, but we also have to be very aware of things we don't want to do. Do we crave evil and wickedness today? Now I know the church answer is no, of course not. Hallelujah, thank you Jesus, shunda, shunda. But I think the question could be a little more complex if we get into our hearts. Do we, do we, do we truly have a hatred for wickedness? So this part, Emma and Sam were talking a lot about that. Do we have a hatred for evil? Or do we crave it? Do we secretly or not so secretly desire it? Are we living a double life where we come to church and we worship and we're very Christian, but then there's a whole other side that goes on behind the scenes. Now here's the point why I'm saying, I'm saying all that, oh, that's terrible, you shouldn't do that. No, that disqualifies you from entering in. The Bible says God talks about Jesus loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. That's nothing to do with people. We love people. It's nothing, but there's, is there a hatred for wickedness? Because if we have a wrong relationship with sin and with evil in our life, it stops us from entering in. Well, that's the biggest Why does someone put up a danger sign? They put up a danger sign because they don't want you to get hurt. Why, did God, why does God say to us, don't sin? Is it just because he's a control freak and he wants to control your life? No, it's just like any good parent. I want to protect my children from things that are going to hurt them, things that are going to devastate their life, things that are going to, you know, just whatever else. You want to put your seatbelt Put your seatbelt on. I'm a good driver, but put your seatbelt on. There's no discussion about you putting your seatbelt on. There's no debate about you putting your seatbelt on. You're going to put your seatbelt on because if you don't and we get into an accident, I could lose you. It's going to hurt you. So there's got to be some 
protections in here. That's the way God talks about it. But here's the biggest deal why God hates sin. God hates sin because of what it does to us. And he hates sin and he says, don't enter into wickedness. Don't enter into sin because it stops you from entering in. So we can talk about our actions. We're going to talk about some actions in a bit. But I think the biggest deal God's getting after is our hearts. Where is, what's in our heart today in relation to wickedness and sin? Do we crave evil? Because he warns us, says, do not crave evil things. Because here's what happens. When you crave it, you ultimately live it out. And if you really want to defeat it, it's not just about behavior modification, but it's about allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart so you hate it. I, I give an example. This is, I mean, this is kind of an easy example to go to, but one of the guys who was a leader in our church for years and his family had moved, so he's not here anymore, but just wonderful man of God. Remember, he talked about how he battled a porn addiction for years. And he, went, he shared about this openly, so I mean, I'm not even saying his name, but he talked about it. And just back and forth all the time, pornography, pornography. But he just wanted so bad to be free. He's like, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. And so he finally, the Holy Spirit gave him an inspired idea because he really wanted to break free from this thing, but he felt he kept getting sucked into it. So he started doing some study on what he was supporting. He started doing some study on just, you know, recognizing just the, the abuses that were happening in the industry. And what was, he started to recognize this is somebody's daughter. This is somebody's mother, potentially. This is, this is somebody's sister. He started to ask God to help him to see it differently. And as he began to see it differently, he began to hate, not, not the people. He loved the people, but he hated it changed. Because if you always secretly love it in your heart, you might be able to behavior modify for a while, but at some point or another, you're going to get pulled back into it. Now, you might be sitting there saying, well, what do I do? Because I do love this wickedness in my heart. That's where the Lord works in you. But God can't work in something that you're not open to him working in or you're not willing to admit is there. Or you're trying to make excuses for or come up with some weird theology about why it's okay. Are we open to receive warnings from God? Will we let God do a work in our hearts where we love righteousness and we hate wickedness? Again, this has nothing to do with people. We're called to love people. And we get that mixed up sometimes. Even people sin. Well, that's just they don't know Jesus. That's what happens. That's what we do without Jesus. So you don't, but there's this, uh, we're talking about, we're talking about wickedness. And, and, and because we're surrounded by a culture, we're entertained by it so often, it's so around us, it just breaks down so often our spiritual senses. Romans 12 verse 9. Let me read a couple of verses. Romans 12 verse 9. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now guys, hear this. This is not just like, oh yeah, that's a nice verse. No, this is a command from the Lord. Be genuine in your love. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Psalm 97 verse 10. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride, arrogance, and the evil way and perverted speech I hate. Amos 5.15, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. You can't establish justice in the gate, true justice, God's justice, if you don't hate evil and love good. But this is where the battle comes. This is where the battle starts. Remember, our whole context, family, is we're trying to enter in. 
Pastor, how come you're up in my mix with this right now? Because I want you to enter in. I don't want you to spend 40 years wandering around the wilderness, never entering into what God has for you. But it says, will I heed the warnings of God? Will I love righteousness? Will I hate wickedness? And again, don't feel like you're, how do I do that? What is it? No, let the Holy Spirit do that work in your heart. So what I want to do here is we'll just look on here. In this passage, there's four key things that the Bible identifies that stop them from entering in. I'm sure there was some more things. You could pull some more things, but there were four kind of pillar things. And I just, I want to just bring these stars because I believe God would say to us today, these are some things that will stop you from entering in. So warning number one, everybody say warning number one. Warning number one is they worshiped idols. We need to check our hearts regarding idolatry. Now, what is idolatry? Idolatry is the religious worship of idols, the dictionary.com, excessive or blind adoration, reverence or devotions. Now, here's where most of us get caught. Because when I said idolatry, a lot of you thought, well, I don't have any statues in my house that I bow down to. I'm good, pastor. Let's go to point number two. Right? That's what a lot of us are just like, oh, I'm good. I don't have any idolatry. But guys, idolatry is so much more and it's so much different. It's nothing to do with an idol or a statue, even though that could be idolatry. Here's what idolatry is. I want you to focus around these words. Worship. What do I worship? Adoration. What do I adore? What do I reverence? What do I give devotion to? Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, answers what an idol is in this way. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Let me read that again. An idol is anything that is more important to you than God. So pause. Is there anything that's more important to us than God today? And I say us, because I'm not just preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself. So anything that's more important than God, that becomes an idol. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Ouch. Right, that can become an idol. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Uh, Jeffrey Curtis Poor in his article, 10 Surprising Modern Day Idols, identified 10 areas of idolatry in our culture today that we can look at. Number one, and just I'll throw these out for your thoughtful kind of you know, meditation for yourself. Number one, identity. We have largely abandoned who we are in Christ and we place our identity in other things, whether it be our social media following, our position at work, our abilities, our skills, our achievements we are after. Many have their identity, identity wrapped up in the wrong thing. Is your identity an idol today? And you already see, you can see how this can get quite nuanced. And you can think you're good, but then God shows you you're not. Another idol could be money or material things. It absorbs us more than God. We love it more than God. As the Bible talks a lot about the love of money, the love of possessions. Here's a real quick way to tell this one. You know, when you talk about tithing or giving generously to God's kingdom, if something really locks up inside of you, I'd, ex I'd encourage you to explore that area and go, oh, is there maybe an idol here? Is there something going on? Number three, our job and our status. Number four, another idol in today's culture is physical appearance. Now hear me on this. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look good. There's nothing wrong with wanting to work out. I have some days. I mean, 
I wish I looked more like Paul, you know, when I flexed in the mirror. I was a personal trainer, et cetera, you know, but Paul's willing to put in a little more work than I am. But, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting that kind of thing. But is that more important to me than God? Is that something I'm finding my identity in instead of him? Those things can become idols. Entertainment. It's my entertainment idol. It's interesting. You know, try it. Do a, do a media fast for three days. And if you can't even handle that, if you can't handle saying, you know, I'm going to shut off the TV, the internet, et cetera, and just spend time with my Bible and prayer for three days, eh, maybe you need to dig into that a little bit more. Now, as with anything, is there anything wrong with entertainment? Not necessarily. I mean, it depends what kind of entertainment it is, but where is it in relation to God in your life? Uh, sex is an idol in our culture. Sex, sexuality, sexual appeal. Seven, comfort can be an idol. Those are a big one for a lot of us in our culture. It's like, I want to be comfortable. Don't make me uncomfortable. Don't ask me to do something uncomfortable. We put our comfort ahead of God. Right? It becomes an idol. Number eight, I thought this was interesting. Phones and technology. Right? What's the first thing you go to when you wake up in the morning? Someone goes, I read my Bible on my phone, pastor. <laughs> right? Now, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not hating on phones. I'm sure my wife's going to give me a look on this one. But, right? I'm not hating on phones, but where is it? it, it see, you see what's actually the, what we attach to these things? You can turn anything. You can turn preaching into an idol. You can turn church into an idol. We talked about not turning worship into an idol, worshiping worship. It's really us. It's not so much the thing. It's us and our relationship to that thing versus our relationship with God. Family and children. We're all about family. We love kids. We believe in having children, but is it more important to us than God? Right? Some people will turn their back on God because marriage isn't going the way they want them to. That's a tough one. I'm not saying that's an easy one. But idolatry, influence, and fame can be an idol. Sometimes, you know, we look back at people in the Bible. Oh, yeah, look, at they're just worshiping Baal. They're worshiping this. Our culture is doing the exact same thing. It's just taking on a different form. And maybe it's actually not that different of a form. So here's what happens is if we have idolatry in our life, guys, we don't Enter in. I want you to enter in. I want us to enter in. But the idolatry's got to go. Here's four ways, questions we can ask to help us identify idols in our life. Where do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? What brings me joy? What's always on my mind? Those are some great questions for us to ask. And God is saying it's time if we're going to enter in, we need to worship God and worship him only. And we need to not have idols in our lives. And I want to encourage you again, this is more of a convicting message today. It's a challenging message, but I want you to ask God, Lord, are there idols in my life because I don't want to worship anything except you? I can enjoy all good things because you've blessed me with all good things. But the minute I move from enjoying something God who I worship has blessed me with to worshiping something ahead of God, it has now crossed the line. And God wants you and me to enter and he wants us to enter in, but it is time for idols to go. 
It's time for idolatry to go in Jesus' name. And it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we won't even see it's an idol until the Holy Spirit shows it to us. But will we lay aside these idols? Will we worship him alone so we can enter in? Someone tell your neighbor, put aside the idols. So that's warning number one. I'm going to pick up my pace a little bit. Warning number two is sexual immorality. So warning number one that stops people from entering is idolatry. Warning number two is sexual morality. Now, when you study scriptures, when you study history, and when you study our present culture, you will see very clearly that one of the enemy's main attacks against Christians and followers of Jesus is sexual morality. It's just one of his go-to attacks because here's what it is. It's interesting, even the term sexual morality, because some people get this weird idea that sex is wrong or something is wrong with sexuality, and that's not the case at all because that's something God created. That's a gift. Sex is a gift from God that he has given. God is the creator of all things. God is the one who designed sex and invented sex, and he made it to be the way it was, to be enjoyable, to be connecting, to be incredible. But there is a crossing over where God is the maker and designer, so he's the one who says this is how it should be participated in. And he said that sex is reserved within covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That's what God said. This is the boundary lines for sex. Within those boundaries, have at it. Enjoy it. Have an amazing time. Outside of those boundaries, you're moving into sexual morality. And you're moving into that. And here's what happens again. When you get out of that and you move into sexual morality, you are now opening the door for the enemy into your life and you are stopping yourself from entering in, guys. That's really what it's all about. It's not just about me trying to hammer away and go, no, it's wrong, you shouldn't do it, be a good Christian. I'm saying, no, I want to get you out of the wilderness. I want to get you into the promises that God has. I want to get you into what God has for you. I want you to get you into the fullness of what he's called you for. But if you have sexual morality in your life, you are going to disqualify yourself. You guys see, I don't know, it's going around on social media, and uh, I saw it on BlogTO. There's a guy downtown Toronto dressing up as a referee and giving bad drivers yellow cards and red cards. Have you guys seen that? I'm like, well, where do people come up with this stuff? So I know it's like a World Cup, but he's literally at like Peter and some main intersection. He literally dresses up as a FIFA referee. And if you don't obey traffic laws at the stoplight, he gives you a re- yellow card. And if really bad, he marches out and gives you a red card. I thought only in Toronto, this is great. Right, but there's some element of where the red card, if you guys know soccer and follow soccer or football, is if you get a red card, you're out, you're disqualified. And too often what happens is we give place to sexual morality in our lives, guys. It's destructive, but it disqualifies. This is why God's saying don't do it. You know, I, I, again, I, I'm just for my message today, I'm not diving too deeply into this, but the example of the sexual revolution, if you do a historical study in the 60s and 70s, there was a massive shift in Western culture that moved from where before that, sex was viewed, I mean, it wasn't a perfect situation at all, but it was viewed very much within this kind of Judeo-Christian value, if you can say that, and there's this whole revolution that said, no, just have it with whoever, whenever, however, and it just kind of, just this complete revolution. And the devastation that has happened, if you track it, I mean, they talk about just, I have all stats. I mean, I could, Paul and Vic have done some school teaching on this stuff. I pull up for stats and different things of these types of things. But, I mean, I think they said before the sexual revolution, was like four known STDs. Now there's like, I don't know, in the 30s plus 40. I mean, just the explosion, the devastation of people's lives. You know, the, 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 uh, a third of our generation after that lost to abortion. I mean, just all these things that came 
Because God said, hey, this is the way to do it. And we said, no, thank you. Maybe a little more colorfully than that. But see, here's what happens is you're in that. What is if we allow sexual morality in our lives, the Bible says we get disqualified. We get stuck in the wilderness. It's not worth it, guys. It's not worth it. I want you to enter in. I want us to enter in. That's what it's about. God says, I love you. I don't want to see you devastated. See, the devil's tricky like that. Right? If you just participated in sin and immorality and all of a sudden you got terrible results in your life, everyone would go, hey, I'm, I'm not a dummy. I'm not doing that again. Right? But God says sin is pleasurable for a moment, but in the end it leads to death. And by the time you get there, you can't reverse what happened. Now, God can redeem and God can restore. Praise God for that. But it's a journey that you don't have to go on if you just listen to God from the start. So 1 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says this, flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Right? It's, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of revelation here, but it literally says sexual morality, it's, it's, it goes deeper. It's not just outside, but it's against and God is raising up a people who are going to live with sexual integrity. But see, that's when you enter in. You remember the start of the message, who wants to enter in? We're all like, yeah. You want to enter in your life? Yeah. Want to enter our lives? But it's like, okay. But you know what? Then this is some things that we need to do, and there's some things that we need to. And I love this, because what's really the answer to deal with sexual morality? Now, this could not just be a message. This could be a whole series. Let me just say this. I love it. It says, flee from sexual morality. Don't sit there and just try and rebuke it and resist it. Get out of the situation. Get out of the circumstance. Get out of whatever you need to do. And so just some things. If there's some things, number one, you need to make a commitment of quality in your heart that I'm going to, maybe you're listening to me today and this is hitting home for you. It starts with a commitment of quality. It starts with a commitment in your heart that says, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm not going to make these choices anymore. I'm not going to watch this. I'm not going to do this. I have a commitment of quality. Number two, you need to get accountable. To someone who has spiritual insight and spiritual strength. They get accountable. Some of us just want to deal with it by ourselves. But whatever you keep in darkness always grows and festers. You got to get it into the light. <coughs> Don't put it on Facebook. Don't put it on Instagram. Get accountable to somebody. Don't put your business out there on the street. But get accountable to somebody. Number three, develop a plan. Usually here's what happens. Most of us, it's really not that complicated. You know when and where you tend to get yourself in trouble. Right? Right? Like Pastor Sharon and I, when we were dating, we made a commitment to sexual integrity. We made a commitment. I mean, our initial goal was not to kiss till our wedding day, but we had a long engagement and I couldn't make it. All right? So I didn't quite get there. Usually I jokingly say, I, I, she kissed me. I tried to stop her, but she kissed me. But then I'd be lying. So anyways, so, I, but we still had this fight for, we, we fought for sexual, and it was a battle, but we fought for integrity. And we're able to stand there on our wedding day knowing we made it. Right? We're able to do it. But here's what I learned. It's a lot easier to stay sexually pure in Tim Hortons than it is in the basement on the couch with the lights out watching a movie. Well, no, we just go watch the movie, Pastor, and we pray and we welcome them. No, no, just go to Tim Hortons. Right? If you're in Tim Hortons, you're not going to be tempted to just jump each other. It's just like, if you are, we got another problem, all right? But is it hard? Yeah, it's hard, but you got to make some choices. 
And someone around you might say, well, that's a really radical choice. It's just like, listen, the Bible didn't say it just resist sexual. It, it said flee it. Somebody say run away. <laughs> that's the one thing. The Bible doesn't tell us to run away from anything else. It even tells us rebuke the devil. But it says sexual morality, flee. Because you know part of it is you're there and you just, they're looking so good and the mood is right and the fog just starts to descend. <laughs> And you forget you're a Christian, you forget your own name, it's just like the fog is there. The fog, that's just that fog. And afterwards it lifts you, like what did we just do? But it's just part of, it's not even it's a bad thing in itself, it's the wrong time. Right, that's why you can't resist it like it's just an evil urge, it's actually something that God designed you for. But you gotta make some choices, right? Maybe you just need to get the computer out of your room. Yeah, but, but then my life will be inconvenient. Well, do you want to be inconvenient or do you want to be bound? Right? Like, it's getting radical about some choices. It's getting radical about some decisions. I remember, there was a testimony I heard, a group of guys who kind of connect online. To it, and one guy was really struggling with some temptation. He called his brothers up and said, listen, I'm going through some temptation right now. A bunch of them hopped on, started praying with them, talking to them. They just did a big call and helped them break through. But see, he said, I'm not just going to go with this. You guys get what I'm saying with this? I'm talking to someone. The last one, he's just got to fight the good fight. It's a battle, it's hard, it's challenging, it's difficult, but it's worth fighting. And in God, you can have the strength to win and you can have the strength to overcome. But you can't play games with it. You cannot play games because here's what happens is you, you give place to sexual morality, you open the door, you, you, you open the door to the devil and you shut the door in your destiny. So if that's how you want to live, I don't want to live that way, and I don't want you to live that way. Stop opening the door to the devil and shutting the door on your destiny. Walk with sexual integrity, shut the door on the devil and open the door to the destiny that God has for you. Amen? So let's make sure. So we deal with idolatry. And I need to land this plane. Warning number two is deal with sexual, sexual morality. Warning number three. And um, is Jerry around? Jerry can come back or whoever's coming. Warning number three. They said they put God to the test or they put Christ to the test. Now this one's very vague. Right? It's like, okay, what's he talking about? So well, let's go back and look at the passage. It says, Numbers 21, 4 to 8. It says, from Mount Hor they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Does everybody say impatience? Everybody say they spoke against God. Everybody say they spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. This worthless food they're talking about is the supernatural food that God's giving them every day. The one who just brought them through the Red Sea. But what happened? Things were taking too long. It was not on their timeline. So they started to speak against God and they started to speak against spiritual leadership in their life. What happened? It disqualifies. Guys, listen. There's things that take longer than you think. There's sometimes days where in yourself it's going to be frustrating. If you want to enter into promises, number one, you've got to keep developing patience, which means I trust you, God. I'm standing firm with what you're saying, and I might feel certain ways, but then also do not begin to speak against God. Right? Now, here's where most of us, most of us are smart enough to not speak against God out loud. God, you don't know what you're doing. Why is this life? God this, God this, God that, God that. 
or we start going at people in our lives, especially spiritual leaders. And what does it do? It stops us from entering in. What's the antidote? Number one, just grow in patience. James chapter one, count it all joy when you go through diverse trials and tribulations and the testing of your faith develops perseverance or patience. And perseverance and patience must have a perfect work. You stick it out, but the number two, just, if you got to, just. So my mom used to say, if you can't have to say anything good to say, don't say anything at all. But don't start speaking against God. Be very, very cautious against speaking against spiritual leaders. Now, I'm not talking about when there's like wrong situations or etc. but even that, there's a right way to do it. But I'm talking about where you're frustrated about what's going on in your life and what happens is stop them from entering. And last but not least, and then we're going to pray, is warning number four is grumbling. Everybody say grumbling. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was to create a list, idolatry, yep, I'd put that right there at the top. Sexual morality, definitely right there at the top. Speaking against God, speaking, oh yeah, I'd put that right against the top. Grumbling, I don't know. Now, I'm not doubting it because it's here. I'm just talking about our natural thing because most of the time we don't see grumbling as that big of a deal. But dictionary.com, what does grumble mean? Grumble means to murmur or mutter in discontent, to complain sullenly. So it's that murmuring. It's that just, ah, I just don't really like this. I don't agree with this. I don't think pastor knows what he's doing. I don't know if this knows what's going on. I don't know what's happening here. I don't know about this. I don't like this person. I don't like this. I don't like that. And it's just kind of this thing. Or you find a few people that there's no actual, what can we do to be part of a solution? It's just this murmur. Murmuring actually means a mumbled or private expression of discontent. To mutter, to complain, to express dissatisfaction, pain, uneasiness, censure, resentment, or grief, to find fault. Here's what the Bible says about this. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. James 5 verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 1 Peter 4 verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Guys, you know what's a killer for so many of us? If we let it be in our lives from walking, it's complaining. It's grumbling. Complaining against God. Complaining against one another. And we don't often see it as that big of a deal. But when we get into complaining and we allow complaining to just become part of, and it's amazing how much it can sneak in there. I mean, I was asking the Lord, Lord, show me where I'm complaining. And sometimes we disguise it as prayer and we're really just complaining to God. And our focus is not on all the good things God has done in our lives and thankful for that, but our focus becomes on the things that we're not happy with, the things that have not happened yet, the things that are not going the way we want it to go. And we rehearse them and we talk about it and we talk to others about it and then we rehearse it some more and we go back and forth on it and we go back and forth and we complain and we murmur and we grumble about it, guys. And when that happens in our lives, when we allow that atmosphere in our homes, we allow that atmosphere in our lives, you know, churches, if that atmosphere is starts to invade churches, those churches do not enter into what God has for them. Because as soon as things get tough, as soon as there's a battle or a challenge, if we've not disciplined ourselves, said, I'm not going to complain. See, what should you do instead of complaining? Here's the antidote. Number one is give thanks. Everybody say give thanks. You cannot complain and give thanks at the same time. And so when you're tempted to complain, instead learn to give thanks. Number two, when you're tempted to complain, learn to pray. Because it's hard to complain, it's hard to grumble against somebody else if you're praying for them. 
if you're believing with them. So you learn to pray. And then number three, a great antidote to grumbling and complaining is becoming part of the solution. Oh, there's a problem? Okay, so I have a choice. I can talk to people about it, just myself and how bad it is and this and that. Or I can say, hey, what's the solution? Let me join in. Let me become part of the solution to this situation. See, that deals with complaining our lives. But guys, here's why I can. We're going to close with this. We're going to close in prayer. But if we allow grumbling and complaining, there's some of us in here today, we've been complaining against God. We've been grumbling in our hearts towards him. I just, this is hard. I don't like this. I don't like what's happening right now. You made a mistake. What you did was wrong and it's stopping us from entering in. I mean, God's got big shoulders. It's not like, oh, he's up there shedding tears, but he would prefer, it stops you from entering what God's had to do. Some of us, it's things in your life and you're grumbling and complaining and it's stopping you from entering in. Even as a church that we com- we commit and say, we are not gonna be people who grumble and complain. Why? Because when we grumble and when we complain, it's stops us from entering in how many people want to enter in how many people want us as a church to enter in how many people want individually to enter in and so I want to encourage you just as we bring this to a close today I want to encourage you we've been talking about these warnings that God gives us is God talking to you today about some idolatry in your life let's get it out so you can enter in Is God talking to you today about sexual morality in your life? Let's get it out so you can enter in. Is God talking to you about a lack of patience and speaking against him and others, even spiritual leaders in our lives? Let's get it out so we can enter in. Is God talking to us about an attitude of complaining, a heart of complaining that maybe has gotten rooted in us? Let's get it out so what? So we can enter in. And here's my final thought with this, guys. If we want to truly deal with idolatry, if we want to truly deal with sexual morality, if we want to truly deal with putting the Lord to the test, if we want to truly deal with grumbling in our lives and complaining, it's not something we're going to do in our own strength, but it's something that we receive the power from the Holy Spirit to do. So if you're here today and you're feeling like, man, this is just hitting home for me, but it's just such a battle, it's such a struggle, I've struggled this so long, I don't know what to do. Here's my encouragement to you. Ask God to help you. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, I repent, but you gotta, you gotta turn your back on me. You say, Lord, help me. Help me to overcome idolatry. Father, help me to flee sexual morality. Father, help me to not put you to the test, to speak against you, to speak against others around me, to speak against leaders. Number four, grumbling. God, help me not to grumble and to complain, but to give thanks, to pray, and to become part of the solution. And I believe when we do that, we will enter in. Let's bow our head and close our eyes today. As I said, today was not so much a kind of pump us up, let's go take on the devil message. I mean, in some ways it was. But it's more of a challenge for our hearts. And I just want you to take this moment. I want you to ask God, God, show me. Is there idolatry in my life? And if there is, repent. God, is there sexual morality in my life? If there is, just repent. God, have I been testing you, speaking against you, speaking as I, if there is, just repent. God, has there been complaining? Has there been murmuring in my life and in my heart? You know, if there is, then just repent. 
And so, Father, I pray today just for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. I know I've been preaching to myself as much to anybody else that's here today. I don't want any idolatry in my life. I don't want any sexual morality in my life. I don't want to put you to the test. I definitely don't want grumbling and complaining in my life. And I thank you for your grace and your power to walk in freedom. So just before we close today, and this is just in response, Lord, if there's something that God's talking to you about, and it's a moment for you of repentance, again, maybe it's idolatry, maybe it's sexual morality, maybe it's putting Christ to the test, maybe it's grumbling, complaining, maybe it's all of it, whatever mix it is today. But if your heart is to say, God, I repent, give me strength to walk in freedom, I want you just to stand to your feet where you are today. Just as a response, Lord, saying, God, I repent. God, give me strength. Give me strength to change. And can I suggest if you're worried to stand because of what somebody might think of you, that's idolatry. Because you're more worried about your image and how you look than you are about being right with God in this moment. And so, Father, I pray for every person that's standing today, myself included, God, because I don't want any idolatry in my life. I don't want any sexual morality. I don't want any of this, God. We don't want it. God, we want to enter in. We want to walk in the fullness of what you have for us. And so I thank you today in Jesus' name, God, as each one of us are standing before you. God, that your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so even as we've confessed this to you, and I want you just even right now, we are just confess it before the Lord. And that can just be simple, Lord, I, I repent for this. I repent for that. But just even as we confess it, God, you forgive us and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so today there is a cleanse from all unrighteousness. There is a cleansing in our hearts and lives in Jesus' name. And I thank you that we are totally clean, that we stand before you, pure and holy by the power of the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. I think my wife just had something else to... Yeah, I was just feeling the encouragement of what is found in community and the need um, for those of you who are standing. There are some things that don't change just because you repent, but change when you bring yourself to somebody else and say, this is where I'm at and they can walk with you on the journey. So I just want to encourage all of you. Um, once again, this is really all of us as a church, that this is part of the kingdom way, is that there is healing and there is forward momentum that is found when we come out of hiding. And we find people just like yourselves who are walking this journey of faith and say, hey, this is where I'm at. Where are you at? Hey, can we pray together and can we walk together? Amen. Let's just, let's just bow our head and close our eyes. I'm going to invite Sam and Esther to come and just have a couple of closing comments. But as they come, just head bowed, eyes closed. I do want to make sure we give an opportunity today if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches us that God loves us with everlasting love. We've been separated from that love by sin. The wages of sin is death, but Romans 6.23 tells us the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has this gift of salvation for us, but we have to say yes. And so I just want to make sure we give an opportunity today, if there's anyone and you know you need to give your life to Jesus, 
or you know you need to give your life back to Jesus. Maybe you used to follow him, but you fell away. I'm not saying you had a bad week or a bad month. I'm talking about you purposely said, I'm done with Jesus, but today you know you need to come back because he wants you back. His, heart, his arms are wide open to you. And so if you're either of those people, I want you just to raise your hand today if you say, I need to give my life to Jesus or I need to give my life back to him. Just head bowed, eyes closed. If there's anybody today, thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, Father, we just thank you today. God, that we will be people who enter in, that we will be people that walk in freedom and in the wholeness that you have for us. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed, said, amen. All right, if you want to grab your seats really quickly, Pastor Sam and Esther just have a couple closing comments and reminders. You know, last, last service, and I came up here and I said, wasn't it such a great message? And everyone was silent because the conviction hit. But I think these are some of the most amazing messages because isn't it just like God to love us so much to the point where he will come in and gently admonish us, rebuke us, to make sure that we step into the fullness of what he has for us. That right there is good parenting. So there, for it wasn't that such a great message yeah man. so i am pastor samuel and this is my lovely wife ed esther hello everyone <laughs> just want to welcome you to well welcome you thank you for being with us today you've been with us for almost um two hours so thank you um if it is your first time here would you mind raising your hand can we just see you oh wow so many first time guests welcome thank you so much for being with us We'd like you to, after the service, um, if you just go through these doors and on the left, you're going to see a connect table. There's a small gift that, that we have for you to just thank you for being with us. Um, and yeah, that's it. So it is, I just wanted to highlight a few things. I want to first say thank you for being such a generous church. Um, thank you for your offering. Thank you for your tithes. And it is, it is God's heart for you to have more than enough. And when we give, it isn't because God needs our money, but he actually invites us to partner with him in his economy. And when we give, it is a way to make sure that money doesn't become an idol in our lives. So we depend on God's provision for us because he says that he will provide for all of our needs according to his riches and glory, rather to our own strength in providing for ourselves. Amen? Amen. So if you are family um, right behind me, here are all the ways that you can give to Toronto City Church. You can give via email money transfer, uh, tidely online, or at the debit uh, terminal. If you're a visitor, please don't feel any pressure to give. If you want to give, go ahead and give, but no pressure at all. I'm just going to pray for the people as they give. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness towards us. We thank you that you love us, that you provide all our needs according to your riches and glory. And we thank you, God, that we are an obedient people, that money is not an idol for us, that we don't put, place it above you or um, choose to cherish it above you. And so we just thank you, Father, for each and every person who gives faithfully, regularly. Um, and we just thank you that, um, yeah, that you are our Lord and, and we put you first in Jesus' name. And we just have a couple of weekly reminders. If you are, or if you know someone who is between the ages of 12 to 17, raise your hand. If you know someone, there are way more people who know someone who's between the ages of 12 to 17. Thank you. Um, or someone going into grade six all the way up to grade 12. We want to invite you to our annual end of year barbecue and pool party. Woo! 
It's super fun. Um, we have it at one of our wonderful couples uh, who live in Pickering. They have a pool and they've opened it as opened it up to all of the youth. So that's on the 31st. You can sign up online. And with that, we want to say thank you so much for being with us. I'm going to pray and dismiss. So Father God, thank you so much for uh, this encounter that we've had with you. God, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word, God. God, I ask, Lord, that the seeds that were planted in our hearts would bear much fruit. God, we ask that you would tear down the idols, rid us of sexual immorality, Father. God, I ask, Lord, that you would change our our attitude towards uh, complaining, Father, that we would be a people who are full of thanksgiving, God. God, I ask, Father, that we would not murmur, God, that we would not grumble, Father. God, I thank you, Father, that, that we have your mind, Jesus, as we, li- as we leave here, God. Thank you, Father, that as we do these things, that we will enter into the fullness of what you have for us, which is good. So we love you. God, I bless everyone that's under the sound of my voice. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have an amazing Sunday and thank you again for being with us. You know, Pastor Sharon, just talking to as we go, obviously it was a deep word in many ways. So we're going to have some leaders here at the front. And if you need prayer, if you want someone just to pray with you and some of our connection leaders, if you guys just hang around, please just be here at the front. And just so if you do need prayer, feel free to come forward. But other than that, Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. And thank you guys.